Hello, welcome to our podcast on real life motivation. I'm Rachel Day and I'm one of your hosts. I'm also the founder of Flying School. Flying School is a place that helps children and young people learn how to fly, as in develop inner confidence, as well as learn how to help each other fly. My co-host is Kelda Wood. Kelda is the founder of the charity Climbing Out. Climbing Out runs outdoor activity programs aimed at rebuilding self-esteem, confidence and motivation in people who have been through mental or physical trauma. In these podcasts, Kelda and I are basically having a chat. We pick a topic and we start sharing our ideas and thoughts and in particular our real life stories in relation to that topic so that we can be as helpful as possible in helping you find motivation. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, welcome everybody to series three of Real Life Motivation. I'm so grateful to all our listeners and all the people that keep encouraging us and downloading and sharing. It's really made a huge difference to Kelda and I. Um, it keeps giving us a boost, doesn't it, Kelda, every, every Monday? It does. We, we keep saying, I can't believe so many people are listening to this. We, we thought we were just having a chat, didn't we? <laughs> so, um, but, but hopefully that's what's actually kind of the nice thing about it, that it isn't a delivery, it isn't, you know, a lecture. It, it is just a chat and hopefully that's what makes it relatable to people. Definitely. And so today's chat um, is entitled uh, Real Life Motivation After a Diagnosis. And this really is keeping it real, particularly uh, for you, Kelda, because I know that you've had that diagnosis recently and you've had to had to find that real life motivation as a result of that. Um, but I think we've all probably had experiences of friends, family who have had diagnosis and, and how how do they continue to find that motivation and also how do we help them do that and not hinder them? So I'm really hoping that this conversation is going to give us um, a few more thoughts and insights um, to that. I don't know if you want to, well, let me kick us off first, really, and just give us a little bit of background to your diagnosis, Kelda, and, and what happened to you right at the beginning. Yeah, so I was um, diagnosed with breast cancer at the beginning of December, so just before Christmas. Um, you know it's been a fairly rapid cancer journey for me as far as um, I was diagnosed on the 8th of December and 1st of February I, I had a mastectomy um, but I was lucky in that I then didn't need radiotherapy and chemotherapy um, but it was a difficult time you, you know I didn't expect it you sort of feel like you're invincible and then I found a lump um, we still didn't think it was anything the hospital didn't think it was anything I'd I'd had a fall from a horse many years ago when the horse had trodden on me um and kind of gone across my my um right breast and broken four ribs and they thought it was just scar tissue from that but actually that was what did me the favor because as a result of, of feeling the scar tissue um it actually enabled them to find the cancer so yeah that was that was a bit of a turn up for the books and the last thing I had planned in uh, my my kind of itinerary for what was going to happen in 2021 but these things are sent to try us aren't they so yeah they are definitely and thanks for sharing so it's really really recent as well um, and so it's probably a bit a bit raw as well for you Kelda but 
Yeah, what's what are your thoughts? So I'm wondering, you know, how how did you stay motivated in those early days right at the beginning? Yeah, and it's I mean, it was a huge learning curve going through that diagnosis. And the one thing I would say is everyone is entitled to their own journey. So, you know, the things I say are what worked for me and what motivated me. That doesn't necessarily mean that's going to work for everybody and and anyone who's had a diagnosis is entitled to go on their own journey and cope with it in their own way for me what was so interesting was from the very beginning I didn't want to be defined by the cancer you know I was like I'm the same person just because I've been diagnosed with cancer don't treat me any differently you know and I I really hated the fact that everyone was asking how I was because I was like let's let's just carry on as normal come on you know um but you know everyone was doing it to be kind and that's the thing I I know I knew everyone was was being lovely but actually the more they asked the more I had to talk about it and actually my whole life suddenly started to become about cancer and I didn't want that I you know I wanted to just carry on doing what I was doing deal with the cancer get it done and dusted as quick as I could and get back to normal you know so I mean I was I was a terrible person because people were you know sending me get well cards which was lovely and I was just throwing them in the bin because I didn't want to be ill you know so it was kind of every get well card reminded me that there was something going on so I did I ditched them all so I apologize to anyone who sent me a get well card um but I think it's interesting isn't it because we all think that to help we should do something you know we should ring up and say do you want to talk about it we should send to get well card we should send you know whatever it might be but actually what I wanted to do was just for people to carry on as normal and go and have a laugh think about something else you know that was what was really helpful to me it's so um so true isn't it I'm thinking I mean my my mum when she was 40 she was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and I think the first well maybe for the first few years she didn't tell anybody like, and I'm wondering, I, I think that's a lot of other people's reactions. And I wonder if that's because there's this fear that you suddenly get treated differently. Yes. Or that, you know, that suddenly becomes the topic of conversation and no one, everyone gets awkward in your presence. Yeah, I I have to say in hindsight, I, regret, I regretted being as open as I was about it. Um, because of the work that I do, you know, I, I wanted to be open because I wanted to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to use this to show that cancer doesn't have to stop you from doing what you want to do, you know, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about it in a minute, but I set myself a number of goals that, that really did give me motivation and, and helped my recovery. Um, but then what I found was that in doing that, I did it because I wanted to still use it as a way to try and show other people that were going through cancer or, or any diagnosis that it didn't have to stop you, you know, it didn't have to define you. But what ended up happening was I just got a load of sympathy. And I that was the absolute opposite from what I wanted. So, you know, I might put something out on social media that I was thinking was just, you know, a bit of a joke. And I, I mean, I deal with it with humor you know so I've made more inappropriate boob jokes you know since, since my cancer than than ever before and um but you know I, I found people responded with sympathy and 
and I I didn't want sympathy you know so I did say I wish I'd never said anything because you know actually it would have been easier if I hadn't but then in some respects I also think that's all the more reason to shout about it because not saying anything also makes it really hard because when I'm when I was having a bad day and I did have a number of bad days if people didn't know they had no understanding of why I might be having a bad day but if they knew about it I could either say you know I'm having a bad day can we cancel or I'm having a wobble so if I go a bit teary just ignore it it's just I'm having you know so I was a bit more like right I want to just let people know and then we don't need to talk about it unless I need to talk about it kind of thing um so I felt very strongly that we should make it okay that you know we should be quite vocal about well what what do I need what do I need and Rachel you asked me the question when I was first diagnosed and we were talking about communication weren't we and and you said you know how can people help and I can remember my response because I just said just ask me what I need and my answer was going to be nothing you know but if I do need something I know I can shout and that was massive as well because in general I didn't want to talk about it I didn't want sympathy I didn't want to even hear the word cancer um but every so often I did need to talk about it so knowing the friends that I could then pick up and talk to so um, you know, I think it's really important that we make it okay to talk about cancer, but that everyone doesn't go into a meltdown at the word or, or any diagnosis, you know, because I think you're absolutely right. A lot of the time is that people don't know how to handle it. So you tell them, you know, I've got cancer and they're like, oh my God, like, I don't quite know what to do with this. I feel a bit awkward now, but let's make it okay let's make it okay to talk about it um and I, I guess that's a much bigger task than what we're doing just in this podcast but maybe if we can share that thought with a few people you know we've always said if it helps one person then it's worth doing yeah so in hindsight then you know what would you have done differently in those early stages after diagnosis that would have helped that's a really good question <laughs> and do you know my immediate response to that is nothing um in that okay although I said in hindsight I wished I hadn't told people actually would that have been the right thing to do like no no I don't I think maybe just be a bit more accepting that people are going to react like this you know and I can remember we put something out on social media and there was just so many lovely messages but sympathy you know and and I got really annoyed and upset about it and then someone said to me ignore all of those you've got to remember the one person that's been helped by what you've put out so actually staying true to why I was doing it and you know just dealing with it in the way that I wanted to deal with it um and and being confident enough to do that and so so obviously you know I'd pushed with my fitness and I was I was back on the bike three days after the mastectomy that wasn't being a superhero you know it was on the turbo 
I had a really light resistance and I wasn't holding the handlebars. So I was just sat on the bike, spinning my legs. That was all I was doing. And I checked with the surgeon that, you know, I'd be okay to do that. And she said, if you feel like doing it, do it. So I wanted to say, look, you don't have to be incapacitated, if that's the right word, you know, after having a mastectomy, you know, you can push on. And then everyone was up in arms, you know, don't do too much and don't push too hard. And, and I'm like, oh, do you think I'm stupid? It, you know, I just want to spin my legs because training and sport is my identity. At the minute, I'm a bit of an invalid because I've just had a fairly major operation. So me getting on that bike and spinning my legs allows me to feel like me. And that was really important in my recovery to kind of be killed at. You know, I, I was told, sit on the, sit on the um, sofa and watch box sets. If I'd sat on the sofa and watched box sets, that would have been the worst thing I could have done because that's not me. That's not the person I want to be. So that means I would have just thought I'm ill, you know. And as I was saying that, there was this little warning bell going off in my mind because what I don't want to do is for someone who wants to sit on the sofa think that it's wrong. It's not. If that's what you need to do, sit on the sofa. It just wasn't what I need to do, needed to do. So I think the important thing is to, for everyone to just go on their journey and do what they need to do to cope with and handle and get through any kind of diagnosis. And I, I imagine that if you are diagnosed, you don't actually know what you need some of the time. So it is trial and error. You know, you get it wrong, you ask for the wrong things. Other people definitely get it wrong. And so you know it, we haven't been through it before I mean some people unfortunately have but you know for me I'd never been through a cancer diagnosis before I'd never had breast cancer and it, it, you know like when someone's diagnosed with Parkinson's it only happens once so you don't get a trial run you don't get a dress rehearsal it, you know you're right it's the first time and it was definitely a learning curve for me and one thing I noticed was about a month after the mastectomy I had a really bad couple of weeks and my family actually said you were so quick to prove that you were okay and so quick to try and prove to, to myself as much as anything that I'm back to normal and I'm fine and I'm Calder and they were like you just you went back to work a bit too quick you probably pushed on a bit too quick and then about a month after the mastectomy when everyone thought I was fine suddenly I fell apart you know and that was what was really interesting because it by that point everyone was like well she's fine she's over it she's back to normal mm -hmm. and then suddenly I was like I'm so not I'm really so not <laughs> so yeah but I didn't expect that you know I didn't know that was going to happen and yeah yeah exactly so you haven't actually got control over what you want and what happens and how you're going to feel mm. and I guess just coming back to the people who are trying to support and be friends and look after you one of the hardest things isn't it because you're not in control of how the other person feels but you feel responsible and you just want them to feel better and you're like desperately trying to work out what can I do or say that is helpful right now and I'm just wondering you know with those those all those comments of sympathy what and for somebody else that would have they would have been so supportive and lovely so there's nothing wrong with those comments no 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 not at all but I'm just wondering for you Kelda what could they have said that would have been more helpful for you 
or what, what did people do that was helpful maybe yeah I mean for me it was always taking the mickey out of it you know my, my friend that sent me some like jelly boobs um and she she sent me a love heart with this one on and and a note saying stick this one on the right boob when they're going to chop it off you know <laughs> and um humor is is my coping strategy you know so actually the people that just and my sister um was brilliant because there was a few of the posts that I um went to put out and one was I think the first time I was riding the bike and she was going to put you know watch you don't wobble off now you're a bit lopsided because we've both got a similar sense of humor you know but she was like oh I didn't dare put that because people would have thought I was being a really awful sister I found it hilarious you know so um so humor a hundred percent definitely made it easier for me but I think it is back to what you said before Rachel everyone's different so I don't want someone to then go making inappropriate boob jokes to someone who doesn't need humor you know so so ask ask someone you know what because I, I think you said something really important before there where it's kind of so when people want to make the comment when people want to support they want to feel like they're doing something and it actually becomes more about them than the person with the diagnosis and again nothing wrong with that that's that's completely normal and expected but it's actually about I want to feel like I'm doing something to help that person so you know let me send them a get well card or or like send them a lovely letter or whatever it might be but that's about them feeling better because they feel like they're doing something um and I get it because people want to do something you know if if everyone was like well I haven't rung her I haven't texted her and I haven't sent her a get well card and yeah I've done nothing to support Kelda they'd have probably thought they were being a really crap friend you know um so I think it's it's completely understandable but again what made it easier were those people that said you know I'm not going to pester you with calls or but if you need me you know where I am um and that was always great because then you knew people were there if you needed it but if you didn't you didn't have to talk about cancer any more than you wanted to you know which which really worked for me yeah and it's so hard isn't it because it's a bit of a tightrope I remember you know when I'm thinking about when, when my dad was in hospital and you know people a lot of people will say we're here if you need us but actually you don't know what you need and you um so you don't even though you think I could ring up that person because they've offered, it's still quite hard to ring up that person when you're feeling quite vulnerable, isn't it? Yes. And I always say what I needed was was food. <laughs> you know, if people dropped a meal around, which saved me cooking that evening, that was blooming brilliant. So. <laughs> the more we know what we need, the easier it is for everyone to help us. I think that's definitely coming through from this conversation. <laughs> the other thing that's coming through is that everybody will make mistakes around us like they'll say the wrong things they'll do the wrong things because the chances of them getting it perfectly right in that perfect moment for how you're feeling at that particular time of day is actually how difficult is that it's so difficult isn't it yeah like yeah, go on. And I hear it from, you know, in the work that we do with climbing out and, and talking to other people who've had various different diagnoses, is that they never quite know how they're going to feel from, from not just one day to the next, sometimes from one hour to the next. And 
you know something that I found was you would be catching up on a for a phone call and in that moment you're okay but actually an hour later you're in floods of tears but that person that was on the end of the phone has no idea of that so they then think oh Kelda's fine you know and they ring up the next time going oh Kelda's fine and it's like actually I'm I'm not equally you could have that time that you ring someone up when you're in floods of tears because it's also terrible and then it was what I found was that I sometimes did need to speak to somebody in that moment that didn't mean that for the rest of the day for the rest of the week I was going to be in floods of tears you know so sometimes I shied away from calling anyone because once I'd done that it was like people thought then that I was really struggling it's like actually no I'm not I'm just having a wobble right now so I just need to offload that and then I'll be fine again um so that was something else that I found and one thing that really worked for me and god this is kind of like a really bad thing to say because you know we always push the you know it's okay to not be okay and it's okay to talk and everything I actually found not talking worked and and again please don't think I'm telling people that that they shouldn't talk because I don't mean that at all but sometimes what I found was every time I got upset I thought right I need to pick up the phone and ring someone but actually what often worked for me was going for a walk and actually just giving myself a bit of time to process reflect think and what I actually found was by the time I'd come back from the walk I'd sorted it out myself and I didn't actually need to ring anyone whereas sometimes when I rang someone it meant that I kept focusing on the thing that was bothering me you know by talking about it you you put more focus more energy into that thing that's bothering you but actually just kind of going for a walk thinking about it and then leaving it out on the walk and coming back and starting afresh again for me worked really well yeah I I love that that I heard um I read once an article and it's nothing to do with the diagnosis but it was to do with the child coming home with a load of you know anger and frustration about what had happened at school and her mum would say to her um okay we'll talk about it at tea but can you go and do this for me and that for me and this and by the time they got to tea there was no nothing to talk about yeah um and so in some ways that's a way of us saying well you know do I need to pick up the phone or actually if I go for what will I feel better well maybe I'll do that first and if I'm yeah. still struggling let me pick up yes. the phone and I think that's the really important thing so it's kind of okay I'll go for a walk first if I still feel like after I've been for a walk that I need to talk to someone I'll then talk to someone but let's just wait and see how I feel in an hour's time and you know very often it had passed sometimes it didn't and sometimes I did still pick up the phone you know and and I mean when we were talking and picking up the phone I can remember one time when I I did pick the phone up and I'd gone for a walk and I was sat on the top of the hill and you know the hill is my happy place and it was a beautiful beautiful day and um, frosty morning bright blue skies normally when I would look out and feel like the luckiest person in the world and it was the week before the mastectomy and I just couldn't feel it I couldn't feel it I was looking at the you know beautiful scenery and I, I felt nothing and 
then I did ring someone up um because I was like you know why am I feeling like this why can't I see the sort of beauty that I normally see and actually it was someone and and this was a massive learning for me um and he was a very good coach and we just we just talked but what I learned was he didn't try and give me an answer he didn't try and make me feel better he just let me talk and the sort of conclusion we came to was that sometimes there isn't an answer that's going to make you feel better sometimes you just have to get through stuff so what we realized was it's okay to look at the beautiful scenery and not feel it that doesn't mean you won't in a day's time a week's time when you've got the mastectomy out the way so it's okay to to not have an answer like not have anything that you can do to feel better and just realize you've got to get through it but the huge thing with that and it's changed the way I talk to people now as well is that so often when we do ring someone up they think they have to find us an answer they think that they have to make us feel better and I didn't want that because there was nothing that was actually going to make me feel better. I just had to get through it. I just wanted to voice how I was feeling. And that was so, so powerful in that, again, I think we often want to find an answer and make someone feel better because that makes us feel good, it, you know. But actually, I, I didn't want, there wasn't an answer. There was nothing anyone could do to make it okay right then. I just had to get through it. Yeah. And I think that is the pain of, of a relative or a friend watching or helping someone go through this because they, they want desperately to know the answer, that the magic key that's going to make you feel better. Mm. And maybe acknowledging that there isn't anything at the moment, but you'll be okay and I'm here, is, is actually the magic key. Rather yeah. than pick something or figure something out or decide what we could have done differently. There was there was a great thing that it reminded me of after that conversation, and it was from Winnie the Pooh, and uh, it was Pooh kind of saying, "I'm having a bad day," and Piglet going, it, "You know, what can I do about it?" And Pooh going, "Nothing. There's nothing you can do about it." And then Piglet sits down beside him on the the log, and and Pooh says, "What are you doing?" And Piglet just says. Well, I might not need to say anything, but I can still be here with you. And and then sort of the line at the end is, you know, best friends. Have, I think it's something along the lines of, you know, aren't always about saying anything, but just being there. And I actually, I got that back out after that conversation that I'd had, because that was exactly it. it you know, it wasn't about, I, I just sometimes wanted someone to just be there you know and and not necessarily you know I, I I did meet some friends and I was like can we talk about anything else other than cancer it, you know then it was kind of like I will ring you as long as you promise not to mention the c-word you know because <laughs> distracting me was was one of the best things they could do you know and that was that was being a good friend that was being a great friend but actually that was also you saying what you needed and, and giving people permission 
you know, you know not to mention the c word <laughs> and and then they all went phew we don't have to get into that awkward conversation about cancer i love that and i think you know i've we often talk about it in coaching but you know we don't want people to rescue us we want to know we can rescue ourselves and it's so much more powerful yeah. that way Massively. People, yeah people want to rescue us because it makes them feel better yes and and again i think that's such a key point in that me getting on the bike or walking my dogs or whatever you know whatever it was that was empowering to me that made me feel better because that was me rescuing myself that was me doing what i needed to needed to do to make myself feel better um and that was way more powerful although dropping meals around was still very much appreciated yeah. so you know <laughs> So just before we leave that, one of the things I'm wondering about is sometimes something happens to a friend of ours and we can't find the right thing to help them. So in some ways, we're every, you know, we're sort of ignored or we're dropped for a bit because we're not saying the right stuff or doing the right stuff. And then there's a piece of the jigsaw missing in our friendship because we didn't share that journey together. Mm. I'm just wondering about how you know what we do about that really because I I think I can admit that as a friend I'm not not necessarily the right person right now um but how does that friendship take get you know legs again if I've missed this massive thing in their lives but good friends you know don't need to be there I had a very good friend of mine um who tragically lost her partner he he was murdered um and i was i've moved away from home and sort of lost touch with him a little bit then and it was a tragic tragic time in her life i sent a card might not have done that knowing what i know now but i sent a card but other than that i didn't do anything and since then we've all kind of grown closer again and there's a part of me I can really sort of relate to that because there's part of you that almost feels a bit guilty because you weren't there. But actually, we all, someone once said to me, we all go on paths and sometimes our paths come together and we're supposed to walk hand in hand and sometimes our paths go in different directions and that doesn't mean your paths won't come back together again. So I think, you know, actually, if you're not the right person, you're, you're better off on a slightly different path during that time. That doesn't mean you can't come back together and still be super, super strong friends. Um, you know, you were actually being a good friend in giving them that space. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think if, if you're the person going through it, I think you can feel a sense of responsibility of how do I include people and you know let people in and that that can be exhausting can't it? you know it, it's a, such a good point because at one point i i was getting so exhausted responding to messages and answering phone calls because there was you know and again god i'm not honestly i'm not ungrateful you know it was so lovely but it was constant it's constant 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 and i was just so tired and getting so stressed because there were all these messages to respond to and actually, I used one of the analogy we used in, in the first um, set, series of podcasts we did with the pint glasses and, and your energy, you know, and if you only have so much energy to use in a day, 
and and that's your pint glass of energy and I realized that I was and I used that analogy in my own head to sort of manage my own behavior because I realized I was using so much energy on managing everyone else you know and responding to the calls and responding to the messages and that was actually leaving me with very little energy left to deal with the cancer and what I I said it to myself out loud you know I need to use as much of that pint glass as I can in my own recovery so I'm really sorry if I upset people but I'm not going to respond and my good friends will understand and those that don't stuff them you know because I was using so much energy and I didn't have enough of it to go around I just didn't so I had to just sometimes you have to put yourself first and I had to stop worrying about oh are they going to be upset because I haven't responded are they going to think I'm ungrateful because I haven't responded I just had to go I haven't got enough energy to deal with it they're just gonna have to wait you know and that that pint glass analogy absolutely worked for me because I'd hit a day when I'd, I'd really hit a wall just with stress levels and tiredness and I just thought of that pint glass and I went I'm using too much I'm using too much I'm putting all of that to one side that was a huge help to me brilliant, huge help. brilliant advice for people because I think it gives you permission to say I can't you know mm. I can't respond I can't do stuff because I do need to give some energy into getting better yeah so yeah. Uh, really useful for people to figure that out and the, the other thing that was occurring to me about how do you cope with advice so lots of people who have been through this diagnosis before who have seen their friends and family who have said i don't know do they say try try this homeopathic thing try reading that try watching that what do you do what happens <laughs> i'm laughing because one day someone came knocking on my door i still don't know who they were um with some magnesium tablets and some other tablets saying oh take these it's been proven that that oh i think it was vitamin d3 it's been proven that they help produce breast cancer and i'll be honest i was just like why didn't you ask me if i want to take them first you know because actually i take vitamin d3 anyway so if i then take it i'm kind of overloading on it and a lot of people were very quick to tell me what to do and I think I feel a bit of a hypocrite because of what we're kind of saying in this podcast, but <laughs> equally what I would say is people who've been through it. I, I mean, I've worked with a lot of people who've been through cancer. So I had a lot of them, you know, calling me up, but it was like, you did what you do needed to do. I'm absolutely open to listening to what you're saying. That doesn't mean I'm going to do it, you know? So if I was giving anyone advice, I wouldn't say, this is what you should do. I would kind of say, this is what I did and it worked for me. You know, I'm happy to share it with you. It's up to you then if you think it would work for you. And I think that's the really important thing because as we keep saying, you know, everyone's journey is different. So they've got to have the choice of, of what works for them. That's brilliant, Keldo. It's just a really, it's a really subtle change of language. Mm. Yeah, yeah. 
and and you know language is so powerful isn't it and you, you're saying the same thing but by saying it in a slightly different way it completely changes how that advice is received um so yeah yeah and, you, and it is I mean I don't know why this has popped into my head and this probably didn't happen with you Kelda but I think the other thing that we can do is when someone's had a diagnosis we can decide that they don't they that they are not capable of helping themselves and we need to make all the decisions for them. And I've even, you know, I've witnessed where people have been spoken to in the third person, what does she need? And, and it's actually, um, she's right in the room now. Should we ask her? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's interesting when you say that because <laughs> my mum was saying, you know, when I come down, I'll come and stay and I'll look after you. And I was like, oh my God, I can't think of anything worse. And that's no disrespect to my mother whatsoever, if you're listening. Um, but but it's more about my mum coming to look after me, again, just reinforced that my life had changed and that I couldn't be independent. And, you know, actually, I'd rather work out how I do something. And if that's that, I need to pop next door to ask them to open the lid off the jar because I can't do it because I'm too I'll do that I, I don't need my mum to come and stay but my mum I'm her daughter she wanted to come and do something to help so she wanted to feel needed and she wanted to feel like she was helping so I completely understand you know why she wanted to come and stay but it was like no I want to be independent I I want to still be my own person and I'll fathom out the bits I can't do and find a way around it so and I yeah. bet there were times when you thought I wish she had come I need her today in this moment and then another moment you don't need her do you so that's the other thing as well maybe that's <laughs> occasion I'm thinking because we don't know what we don't know I can imagine yeah. people, no I'm fine I'm fine and then you know thinking Oh, we should let them come you know because now I'm on the floor so yeah. you sort of can absolutely and and there were definitely some things where you were just like I just can't do it, it you know it, it like crazy stuff that um like pulling the dog food tin you know on a ring pull and actually when it was first done pulling the ring pull up was just too much of a but actually it's amazing I was only on one side so you just have to pull it the other way but it was little things like putting a jacket on so you know suddenly I'd be talking to someone and not concentrating and I'd go to just swing my arm to put a jacket on and oh I'd pull it you know but again they're the things that that you just don't expect aren't they so yeah and yeah. probably the things that people don't talk about the little things <laughs> so you yeah, they, they come as a surprise because no one's ever mentioned them before yeah and it's always like that you know I said it when I did the Atlantic I was going to do like the things they don't tell you about rowing the Atlantic because everyone tells you that the big stuff but no one tells you that if you have spicy food and your lips are burnt from the sun that it really stings you know um so it was kind of like daft stuff like that that's actually really useful and I, I guess it's the same yeah either have have a, a tin opener although I'm imagining that would hurt quite a bit so I got someone to come and open about four tins and then put the plastic um you know tops on so that they didn't go off so there's always a solution <laughs> I could talk to you for hours and I'm so so grateful as I'm sure so many other people are for you for you sharing for you being really open about you know I know I remember saying to you should we do this this um conversation and you were like I just want to move on 
and I, I was, it's so kind of you and generous of you because I know you're not doing it for you you're doing it for other people listening and I'm just really really grateful and appreciate that and, and I hope it's helpful again I hope someone's not sitting there kind of going what are you talking about that's so not right you know again I just want to underline it and put a few exclamation marks at the end you know it's do what's right for you so this is my opinion this is my approach but it might not be yours but just do what you need to do but communicate communicate you know and if it's if it's you want people to do nothing tell them that um so yeah yeah i mean there's an underlying summary to today which is fig figure out what you need tell people really clearly and honestly and if you change your mind to tell them again and don't worry about it um but the more you say what you need the more everyone else knows how to help you i guess yeah definitely i i, I guess the thing i said about the phone call you know my my partner lives away so you know he would ring up and have this assumption that I was okay because when he spoke to me the day before I was fine so we actually had a thing like don't wait for me to say whether I'm okay or not just ask me it, you know how are you feeling how are you today so that I didn't because I hated kind of going oh, I just want to let you know I'm not feeling good today because that made me feel really dweeby but we got a bit of a code that you know it's a wobble day so that he would just say how are you feeling and I'd say it's a wobble day he would then know to just tread a little bit gently and um you know again just that communication it's, it's key isn't it it's key I love that it's a wobble day I can see <laughs> I use that myself actually I'm going to remember that <laughs> well, it wraps it all up very nicely definitely Kelda is there anything else that you wanted to add before we, we finish you know what I think we've we've sort of said it all I feel like this should be a profound statement to say now but I think you know any diagnosis is a tough time you know and you're entitled to feel how you feel about it and to go through a whole range of emotions go on the journey it, you know and nothing lasts forever when I was in the middle of it I felt like I was going to change and that I was going to be a different person and that, that really scared me but I'm not you know I got through it and now I'm back to just being me I don't even know I've only got one boob anymore I've, I keep forgetting I went out the other day in a t-shirt I was like oh shit I've only got one boob you know um and so you know I think that that's the thing it's just realized that it doesn't last forever and no matter how you're feeling keep moving forwards keep getting through it and you will get through it i couldn't end this podcast any better just good luck if you are going through it right now if you're helping other people going through it and everyone's journey is different and you you know you don't know what's going to be your journey until you start it so good luck with it thank you so much kelder lovely to see you and looking forward to our next episode um and I don't know which one we're going to choose. So wait and we'll see. Everyone in suspense. <laughs> Let's see what we feel like for the next one. But see you next time, Calder, and look forward to it. Thanks, Rachel. Bye. Hello, it's Rachel here. Um, just wanted to highlight one of the sort of key things from this conversation after re-listening to it. And it is equality. 
what happens when we get a diagnosis is we suddenly decide that someone needs our help and we need to rescue them. And when that happens, they're no longer our equal. And therefore, they feel a bit inferior. And it's that feeling that puts people off sharing that they've even had a diagnosis because they don't want to be treated any differently. So I think, for me, one of the key things I've learned from this conversation is to continue to treat people as equally as we always have done. I hope you've enjoyed it and look forward to seeing you next time. So that's the end of our podcast for today. Thanks so much for listening. We would really appreciate it if you subscribe to our podcast and left us a rating and a review wherever you find your podcast. We understand this is the best way for as many people as possible to hear about it. If you would like more information on Climbing Out, visit climbingout.org.uk or more information on Flying School, visit flyingschool.fun. Thanks again for joining us and see you next time.